I think I'm hooked on the recovering from like getting out of a hole, getting back into it, getting out of it, get back into it, getting out of it. And rather than doing it on a, trying to do it on the bed and as we were saying earlier, or the ice cream tub, finding it at the bottom of the ice cream tub, I do it in a, a healthy way of doing it, which is completely not, but I'm chasing my limit to see how far I can get and, and where my, yeah, where I break. That was Indigenous ultra runner Andrew Thorpe, and this is the Running Deep Podcast. Attention podcast listeners, here's an exclusive offer for you. Use the code RUNFORYOURLIFE during checkout for free postage on your order. Now, I am introducing Lucy Locke's Golden Milk, the secret weapon of Olympic marathon runners, ice climbers, and triathletes. Whether you're looking for joint support, injury prevention, or that competitive edge, Lucy Lockett's Golden Milk has you covered. Now, I know what you're thinking, Kent. What is going on? You're just doing another ad, but no, I'm, I'm being dead set serious. This stuff really does work. I've been using it for the past two weeks now, and all I can say is, you know, my inflammation in my Achilles has disappeared, and I'm just feeling overall really, really good. Now, this luxurious organic turmeric paste is designed to mix seamlessly with your favorite nut milk or smoothie, making it easy to enjoy at home. Now, this is inspired by an ancient Ayurvedic recipe. Each ingredient is handpicked for its superfood qualities, working together for maximum health benefits. Now, the star ingredients, which are organic turmeric and ginger, come straight from an organic family farm in the stunning Glasshouse Mountains on the Sunshine Coast. And every 200 gram jar is infused with the richness of three plump organic vanilla beans. Now, these guys take sustainability and ethical production seriously. All their ingredients are sourced from organic suppliers that they share the same values. So give your body the care it deserves with Lucy Locke's Golden Milk and elevate your health and performance today. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to this week's episode of the Running Deep Podcast with me, your friendly host, Kent Mullins. Now, in this week's episode, I got to sit down with a uh, good friend of mine, Andrew Thorpe. Uh, He's an Indigenous runner who's breaking the stigma in men's mental health, with a particular focus on Indigenous men and those working in the construction industry. Now, Andrew shares his story of breaking intergenerational traumas and how health and fitness have become his tools for managing his mental health and the importance of recognizing that mental health is a long-term journey. Now, this is a longer episode than most. I think it goes for about an hour and a half. And yeah, there's a lot in there to take away. Um, I met Andrew, and we we did talk about this in the episode, uh, when I used to run a mental health run club, and we just clicked. Uh, he, you know, he came along to one of the runs and ever since then, you know, we've, we've been in contact, you know, on a, you know, bi-weekly basis. So, you know, it's great to have him around and it's great to see what he's doing for his family, for himself and everybody around him. So please enjoy this week's episode with me and Andrew Thorpe. 
Well, we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it. Been a while. Yeah, man. So give me the give me the rundown. What's what's been going on? Because you've been doing a lot. You've been doing yep. a lot, a lot. Yes, I have. Yeah, never ending for me. Yeah. Um, running wise, I have been. Um, what did I do this year? Melbourne Marathon, not long yeah. ago. That was that was fun. I uh, yeah. was. I was probably trying to take on too much. By yeah. continuing into that one, uh, yeah. well, well, not not too much. I went harder than I should have, and yeah, yeah. and it and it didn't plan out to be uh, how I thought it would be. But yeah, in saying that, um, overall, looking at my time, looking at how I finished and everything, still really yeah. happy. But yeah. um, yeah, just my own couple of personal little goals didn't didn't pan out. So that was um. It was a bit of a hit, I guess, but it it sort of, like I said, overall, overall, when I when I look at what everything I've done, um, it was just like I, mm. I still got a three fifteen marathon, um, which still is fast, you know, very yeah, fast, yeah. So and I was like running along, feeling like absolute death, and I looked yeah. at my watch and I was still running at five minute pace, and I was like, shit, yeah. I'm actually still going good, like yeah, yeah, I feel feel worse than what I actually. Am doing so, um, but yeah, because it was only like six or so weeks before that, I was I did the Shepparton Marathon, and I had yeah. a red hot crack at that and got a three hour eight, and which was my PB. So, um, so yeah. fast, yeah, so, so fast, yeah. Well, I was I think, pretty happy um, with it. For, for like, I guess my audience, um, I think, yeah, for anyone that's listening, oh, how long, how many years ago do you reckon? We sort of connected. Um, oh, well, I started running just over three years ago, so it was probably near three years ago that we actually then connected. Yeah, yeah. So, so for, yeah. for anyone that's listening, I've I've known Andrew for well, yeah, three years now. Um, I had a mental health run club and sort of did a thing in on the Gold Coast there, and um, yeah, we just connected through Instagram and. Yeah, you you flew to Gold Coast and showed you around, and yeah, been been mates ever since. So it's nice. It's, it's actually cool to like have someone on that you know I know quite well, and you're a runner, and you know, especially with and like again, we connected because it's the same, same different different shit. You know, we we've got a similar story in the sense of mental health and that, um, which I really want to dive into because I don't really know the full extent of you know what you've been through uh you know we've spoken about it in passing and on runs and whatnot but never in detail and never in a format like a podcast so it's sort of like it's not weird but it's like interesting now that i can finally hear that side of um you know your life that we we never really got to talk about yeah yeah no that's and to be honest even three years ago when we did catch up that time I I guess I know my life and I know where I've been in my life, but um, mental health issues and traumas that I've been through, mm. my some of my coping mechanisms that I didn't even know about because were like parts of my so I guess traumas that have happened to me, they've just wiped from my brain. It's it's 
Like mm. it's not it's not that I'm suppressing them. I just until sort of my wife or other people sort of mention certain things to me, they were actually out of my mind and out of my like mm. I did not think about them. So since going through my journey over the last three years, um, I'm I guess learning about myself again. Um yeah, which has been yeah. it's been an interesting journey. Um and the running has been the way I get all of that, I guess. Um it's it's prompted me to get better and it's prompted mm. me to deal with traumas even if I've forgotten about them. You know, there's a reason I do what I do these days and one say the mm. the trauma has pushed me down that path or because um I'm avoiding going through a trauma again mm. subconsciously. Yeah. And like, 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 it's funny that you say that because I think that in itself is a trauma response, like not to think yeah. like sort of just, you know, completely cut it out. And it's not even you doing it. You're not even actively going, I don't want to think about it. It's, nah. it's like with, um, you know, people like, especially my dad, uh, I think I told you about that where he on the finish line of the um, uh, half Ironman, he collapsed and he was pronounced dead for like 20 minutes. And, you know, your body, it's such a traumatic experience. You know, he woke up, he he, do, he doesn't remember a thing. And yeah. to this day, I ask him, I'm like, well, do you remember anything? He goes, no, like, it's like my body just automatically forgot about it because it didn't want to feel that anymore. Yeah. So for you, like, I want to dive into that. And like, you, you, you're familiar with my podcast and what I do with it. You know, yeah. I want to get, you know, into the nitty gritty and really paint a picture of how shit life can really get and we i don't want to paint this you know glamorized life of you know the highest highs and the lowest lows and we overcome everything with a good you know mental mindset you know i want to get into you know but sometimes it fucking just sucks sometimes shit is hard and life gets dark and only time can really pull you out so you know what was some of the you know you talk about traumas in a very broad sense but like what were some of those things that really affected you that you, I guess, subconsciously, you know, put away somewhere? Um, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, I guess it's a, yeah, starting early days as a child, um, having to, I guess, parent myself from mm. very young age. Um, like I've told some stories to friends recently. I drove through a town, um, Langatha down here in Victoria. Um, mm. and it wasn't until I drove through that town. I've been through there many times before, but I just happened to drive this certain way and whether it was the same way I did back when I was younger, but I was explaining to a guy, we're, we're on our way to park run actually. Mm. And I said, I said, Oh, um, I actually came to this town one day, uh, for a four day, pool lifeguard course which i wanted to do as a job at the time i'm living in lakes entrance which is three and a half hours away from there mm. and i got dropped off as a 14 year old checked into a hotel by myself got all my food did everything i needed to do so that i could do this course um completed it i'd get up in the morning walk myself because i'm 14 no car or anything to the pools did the course went home signed all my paperwork uh got through this course, then checked out of the hotel, jumped on a train back to Lake's entrance, 
And for me, that was completely normal. <laughs> and when I was telling this guy this, he was looking at me and the, the face that he had, he's like, you were only 14. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, that was, you know, that, that was my life. That's what I did. I, and I felt completely comfortable in it. Obviously, my family did as well. But, but what was normal for me is, is traumatic to many people and it's traumatic to me in the long run, but, you know, being, being in a town three and a half hours away from any support as a 14 year old, some people say that that's a, that's a dream, but, you know, I was isolated in that time. I was completely alone and isolated and and it's not until now that I'm actually understanding that and and i've got a an eight and a ten year old almost you know almost nine you and wouldn't eleven even think of doing that <laughs> not even close like you know they have to i have to know where they are at all times and and we're yeah. building that trust where we're not there to be you know I've, we've had the conversation with my daughters where if they message me you know any time of day or night in the future like we're, we're starting that that trust now that don't care if you need me, you call me and there will be mm. no questions asked. We can deal with it another time. But if you're unsafe, I want to be there. I want to make sure, you know, um, mm. because I, I, I essentially didn't have that. I felt safe in myself and I felt like I, you know, could trust certain people. But mm. in the long run, like now I'm a parent, I'm like, no, there is, there is no chance, no hope. Um, I'd rather be there supporting my children through mm. those things rather than you're on your own you know this is life um yeah it's a yeah but again that's just one little story that's that just appeared in my brain as i was driving through this town but like mm. i don't know and i'll never will remember but like i suppose if i take it right back to when i was born i was in the nicu for um the first two weeks of my life so the the mm. Um, intensive care unit for for the um, native, uh, babies. Mm. Um, I wasn't meant to survive at all, and if I did, the doctors said I would have an eighty percent chance of brain damage because of the lack of oxygen and stuff with the with the birth. So, mm. just that in itself is already setting me mm. backwards in my first two weeks of life. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so. With that, there's a lot of trauma with the family, me being a sick child, to then growing up, I travelled. And, and when I say travelled, we moved a lot between Melbourne, Lakes Entrance. By the time I was 10, I think, maybe even younger, I had been, I'd lived in, I think, about six or seven different houses. Mm. Um, and not to mention when it was school holidays, I did what I did. Again, I just told a story, but like there was no clear boundaries of where I could and mm. couldn't go. And there was no, you know, I hear from certain people that had to be home when the street lights went on, things like that. Mm. That wasn't a thing for, for me and, and my friends. Mm. Like I, I wasn't the only one out. It was me and my friends. Like the path we were going down, it it wasn't a good path. Like we we've all gone in completely separate ways. Like I'm, I'm working, I've got a family, I've mm. got a house. 
I consider myself very lucky with the path that I ended up traveling, but I've got friends that have, um, drug addicts. I've got friends that were smoking at a young age when we were doing these things on the streets. I've got, you know, there's, there's people, friends that have been in and out of jail. Um, and unfortunately, um, I've had, had a friend and we considered him a brother. We were that close cause he was right there with me all the time. He committed suicide, um, in 2019. Um, and that was the wake up call that I needed to get my mental health back on track because I didn't realize I was suffering and, and it was a big facade that each of us were putting up. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there's I'm sort of bouncing around a bit, but it's sort of mm. my, my history, my past also then correlates with my, my now because the thing, my mates and my, my relationships back then and, and the, the traumas we went through, we, we, I guess, bond over that fact. And mm. it's only in the last three years I've started to realize that it's, it's not necessarily a, a good bond. It's a, it's the fact that we went, we survived it, mm. but some people say that take it as a badge of honor and how good we are and how cool we are, how tough we are. But I'm now starting to realize like how lucky we were and mm. you know and what has if if we had have maybe gone a separate path would some of my mates be in the situations they're in would i be in the situation i'm in like you know mm. we all have a different our different struggles you know but uh yeah that was that's yeah i've i've grown up on on the missions of lake tires mm. at uh, which is a four-hour drive from um mm. from melbourne um where you know things out there uh, it's a whole different world again um it's it's well and truly improved nowadays from you know 18 20 years ago when i lived there even longer but um yeah like i had a house we moved into in now an hour which is just outside of lake's entrance um mm. we actually kicked horses out of the house so that we could move into the house like it was a it was a farm property it was mm. a as as beat up weatherboard shack that you could even draw or talk about in a horror movie, that was what it was. Mm. And and the horses lived in there. They would just wander through the house. Like mm. we cleared all that out to move into this house. Um and yeah, yeah. It's mm. it's a it's a crazy life that we were just bouncing around. Um and then yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot mm. of stories about that house that I could even talk yeah. about. Like, yeah, it, the 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 we built a, another house in at the front so that we we subdivided essentially. Um, that house we rented out eventually to a, a few people that were known in the community. Mm. The the house got burnt down, mm. um, and I don't want to go too far into how many traumas can come out of this one, but a guy died in the fire um, and he was actually, I knew him by name. He we were, was very recognized and everything like that. Yeah. It wasn't until later I found out he was actually a convicted pedophile. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. And, and he was, you know, in and out of my house many times. Yeah. Nothing ever happened to me or anyone. Well, I don't think anything happened to anyone I know, yeah. but, but to have that around me, you know, if I, as parents, there's nothing we would yeah. hate more 
you know, then I think hate's not a uh, that doesn't no no but yeah so but then so that happened but out of that my dad actually got charged with the murder of this man so he went to jail um it was all eventually proven that he had nothing to do with it and it was actually the people that lived in the house that did it and there was yeah because yeah, I don't, well, uh, I don't want to go into too many details because yeah, 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 it's yeah, not yeah, really yeah. the graphic side of it, but th- that's another trauma that I had to grow up with. And at that time, I must have been, oh, I, I would have been seven, six, seven, something like that. Oh, yeah. but like, you know, and th- like this is something, you know, we, we, we should touch on is just sort of that. Well, it sounds, first of all, that you had a very unstable, like, not so much, not abusive or anything like that, but just very unstable. Yeah. You know, there was no stability there. You were in and out. You're here, you're there. And then, you know, this sort of shit happens in your life. Yeah. And, you know, what what coping mechanisms as a seven? Like, you've got no one to go to. You've got, nah. you know, who, who your dad just went to jail. Like, who who's there to, you know, yeah. who's yeah. like with your kids, you, you hold your kids. You know, if they're upset, you grab them and you hold them tight and you say everything's okay. But, you know, growing up in your life, you had no one to do that. And, nah. you know, and I, it's a tough one because who knew any better? Like, you know, yeah, that was your circumstances for, for, for what had happened to you. So, yeah. like, I want to do like a bit of a jump here, you know, Looking back on all that, how like how do you think that affected you now? Like, I know you've suppressed it for a couple of years or many many years, but you know how did it sort of come up and bubble up, and how did it affect you? Um. So, I guess putting them all together, um, everything that I've started to understand now. I'm starting to see that in my family life, like for, for my kids from birth to, or even before birth, helping my partner out to, I'm going to say toddler age, I was so hands-on and and everything was like, I, I've had family, with I've had babies around me my whole life from, mm. an, from a young age. So, and again as being someone that's had to manage by myself i would always help out the the children i was always you know a carer and and some family would, would always call me like the, the baby whisperer and things like that i was yeah. i was always looking after the kids but then through my work at the age of my kids being toddlers and and a bit older i guess i was using my work as i, I became a workaholic, I guess, and started slipping away from the family life a bit too much because I then started running my own company and everything, which oh, meant this is I was all making sense. Yeah, now. I was I was yeah. missing missing time, mm. which which and at that time I still hadn't understood my own stuff. So, um, I'm missing time, and and all then when I got home, you know, like my kids, we are teaching my kids to be independent, but not like I was. So, but in saying that, 
there was times where you know I'd like they kids would come in and say oh, I can you know they're hungry or whatever and I'd be like okay go make yourself a sandwich because you know how to do that. Mm. Whereas in reality, the minimal time I was spending with them, I should have been doing that. I should be getting up off the couch or off out of bed because I was severely depressed because of everything that's going on in life and getting up and doing it. But yeah, it was it was a subconscious way of me dealing with things and and i guess not that i ever thought it but i guess it was a way of me essentially saying i was doing stuff at your age you should be able to do a sandwich look after yourself you know and again i didn't think of it like that but now looking back at it like that and and me knowing myself mm. now it's it's how i'm comprehending it i guess of of, of understanding my my mindset at the time like what you just described there is he, like is a perfect representation of one addiction and two generational trauma like yeah. that that is how gen um, that's sort of like a, a, a i guess a, a buzzword that's thrown around at the moment but in a nutshell that's how it works you know i was yeah. treated like this so i'm going to treat my kids like this and yeah. then they were treated like this when they have kids. That is how they're going to treat their kids. And for you to have the understanding to go, hey, I'm I'm going to break that mold now. Like they don't deserve what I went through is uh, that's amazing. And I guess the same with me, you know, I didn't have the worst upbringing, but I didn't have, well, I didn't have the worst by any means, but there was a few things that I re recognized in myself doing with my kids, like the sort of, go hard, like make sure you do it all yourself. And they're only three and five. I'm, I'm sometimes too harsh on them. And I can recognize that was because it happened to me. You know, yeah. And going on to that addiction piece, you know, there's a, um, a doctor, uh, psychology, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, and he, he goes, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain, you know, don't and, and addiction can be anything like it doesn't have to be drugs or anything like that it could be reading books it could be you know compulsory uh, not compulsory um what's the word then you go buy like shop shopaholics where they just go yeah. buy you know yeah it can be anything it can be any and you know you you trace it back you trace it back and it's that feeling of unsafe you know yeah. the feeling of not being enough so what makes you feel enough when you work, when you you overwork, when you overdrink, you know some people say heroin's like a you know a warm hug. That's people that people describe it. You know, I when I've I'm still addicted to vaping, but when I vape, I feel it's a weird weird one. I feel safe. I feel like everything's gonna be okay. And yeah. you know, with your work, probably the same thing. Like it was this sort of Definitely. outlet. Yeah. Definitely. So, like, I'm in construction. I, I, I started my apprenticeship when I was 15. Um, I'm carpenter by trade. And early days, it was tough. But now, like, I'm on tier one construction sites supervising. Like, right now, I'm, I'm supervising a, a $70 million train station, which is a huge deal. Like, you know, $70 million of anything mm. is a huge deal. But there is nothing in my workplace, and I mean absolutely nothing, that I can't 
work out or help work out because I know I've got people around me that I know will get an answer or engineering mm. or there is there is literally nothing that I stress about at work. And I mm. look, you know, we've got the CFMU down here. They're doing their job. They're trying to keep people safe and, and trying to, you know, create all this change. But there's clashes between my company and them. And there always will be. And it's this isn't a stab at them, but but we blew hard sometimes. And yeah, neither of us take it personally because there's always an outcome and I know I can fix whatever it is or I know I'm right with whatever it might be. So it's a, but but the point of that is that no matter what I do at work, I am I am so confident in everything I do. And, and I don't know everything, but I know that I know people that do. So mm. I know we can find an answer and I, I know the support's there that I can get that answer. Whereas at home, it's a whole different story. I can mm. go from being this confident person that can do whatever at work Superman, I call it at mm. work, to I'll go home and maybe because the day was so chaotic, I don't get out of bed and I'll go and sleep for twelve hours, like and and my family time's missed because then tomorrow I'll get up and do it all again. So mm. it's a real and and when I ran my company and everything like that, it is what I was doing. Like I was getting maybe four hours of sleep a night, six hours maximum, and and I thought it was great. We we had I had a joke, a running joke with one of the guys that was one of my subcontractors at the time, where we'd call each other and be like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm at home now, what are you up to? And and this is after say a fourteen, fifteen hour day. <laughs> he'd call to say, I'm at home, you know, have a good rest of your day. And the running joke would be, Oh yeah, I remember my first part time job too, because they were still working or I was still working. Mm-hmm. Like it was a you know, we we'd be racking up nearly eighty to hundred hours a week working. Mm. And then my day off would be a Sunday and I'd sleep it because I had to catch up on everything that I've just used up. All of that energy, all mm. of that capacity mm. I had to get back. So again, there was no time for family. But it was well, no time for yourself. No time for oh, that was the last thing I I was I would if it was drive through, that's what I was eating. And if it was quick, that's what I was eating. Like my lifestyle, compared to what it is now, my lifestyle was—I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. It was mm. terrible. Um, but again, I've learned a lot now. I've, I've learned a lot over the last three years, and in the job that I'm in now, I'm not as as being a supervisor. Yes, I've got some form of responsibility, but when the when the job's knocked off, I knock off. There's no mm. following up things. It can wait till tomorrow morning because mm. I've got to go do my stuff and go for a run or I've got, say tonight being a Monday, I'll go and do uh, dancing lessons with my daughters and take mm. them. I'm actually busier on a Monday afternoon than I am at work, but it's all mm. family stuff and it's time with my kids. So, mm. um, yeah, it just, it's two worlds that are just mm. completely different. So running off the back of that and sort of pivoting this, you know, talking about that mental health piece, you know, how have you found, especially, especially, you know, on a work site, like for those who can't see this video version, you're currently on the site. (laughs) Um, 
you know, how have you found, you know, the support with mental health? Because, of course, you're going to have your shit days. You, you're going to have your great days. You're going to have your in-between days. But, you know, especially on this on site with, so you know, there's, again, another buzzword, toxic masculinity. You know, how is it on the, on, on the site now where, you know, if you're having a shit day or if someone else is having a shit day, how do you guys recognize that and, and help one another? Is that, is that still, you know, something that needs to be worked on? Definitely still needs to be worked on. But if you compare now from five years ago or even 10 mm. years ago, we're leaps and bounds ahead. So the way I've seen it, it it's coming from the the next generation of construction workers, I guess. Mm. So like I'm 32, I'd say, and this isn't, it's not everybody, so I'm going to stereotype here, but I'm going to say anyone over the age of 45, roughly, 40 to 45, they've still got a bit of a toughen up, grab a cup of concrete mentality. And again, mm. not everyone, but it's a, it's the younger and I guess the people that are dealing with it firsthand that are starting to understand, like, you know, people like myself that have opened my eyes up to a whole new world because I wasn't... As much as my whole career, as much as I've always just done what I've explained where, you know, my family time missed out, I missed out, but the work continued. I'm the first person to all my guys that work for me. If you need time off, you need time off. Take that day, take that week. Mm. Your job's still here when you get back. So mm. I I said in, in two things where one, the first point would be, they're getting what they need, especially construction worked all through COVID. So we, and Dean down in Melbourne, as everyone knows, we had the the, the worst lockdowns mm. in the world with the longest lockdown, everything. But construction workers still continued working. Um, and I'm sure he won't, understand, uh, won't mind me talking about this, but one of the guys that worked for me, his partner is actually a school teacher as well. And, and he got a call one day because the working from the, the school home-based school stuff was really, you know, predominant back then. And she just got abused by a teacher, a, a parent as a teacher to, because the parent didn't have enough time to be teaching the kids and it should be their job. And why, why isn't she doing a better job? Mind you, she's also got a couple of kids at home that she's trying to homeschool mm. while teacher class and, I guess it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. She called with in absolute tears and I could see by his face that it wasn't a good phone call. So I was, I was already pointing towards his car and like, you go, you get out of yeah. here. Um, and he's, he called me from the car and he said, Oh, you know, explain the story I just said. And he goes, I'll be back tomorrow though. I said, no, you won't. No chance. Yeah. You stay home. You do homeschooling. You do whatever you need to do so that your partner's happy and then you come back the next day and we'll pick up where we left off. Like in mm. no need, we don't, we don't need you. Yes. I could, I've got stuff for you to do, but it can wait. Your, your mm. family can't wait. And, and I've always been like that, mm. but I was never mm. like that for myself. So <laughs> I could see it in other people, but yeah, I never looked after myself in that way and until now. Now I'm like, right, this is it. This is what mm -hmm. I've got to do. Um, 
but yeah, he he called me. He he came in that following day after he had the extra day off, and he came in with with a. I, I drink hot chocolate. I don't do coffee, but he came in with a hot chocolate, and and his partner even baked a cake and brought it in, and mm. she she wanted to thank me for making sure that that everything was good at home, because. Mm. If, nothing, if it's not good at home, then why why come to work? Like, there's no point coming to work mm. if your home life isn't sorted. And that's yeah, again, a generalization, but we work for our people at home, so mm. there's, well, there's, no yeah. Doing, yeah. there's no point doing that if eventually that work commitment is going to ensure that you don't have people at home. Mm. So it's a it's a it's a hard mix. But he then number two point from that was that day. He did about twenty-five hours worth of work in the eight hours. He mm. absolutely smashed it because he was upbeat, he was cheerful, everything was good. I looked after him, his family life's fine. Like I got the best out of him because he was in his best position. Mm. Instead of if he was if he had a mind half his mind at home worrying about that, he could have hurt himself, he could have hurt someone else. Like it may never have happened, but there's that risk. It's so, so many runoff. There's so many runoff effects from, yes. you know, th- those sort of. Um, I guess, I guess, in a way, that you know, for him, especially during that time, like traumatic experiences, and you know, you showed up in his life, you know, yeah. as a leader, as someone who gave a shit, and you know, it sounds like you know, it's taken since you were born to sort of realize realize what you're realizing now that you know it is just a job and i tell that to my guys it's yes we 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 rock up to work we do the best we possibly can but remember it is just a job we're replaceable you know but we make sure we do the best you know the best work we can possibly do and we turn up for ourselves um now off the back of that you know for you and your mental health like what did it look like in your dark you know your 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 dark days like even now i know for me my dark days only recently just look like i want to lie in bed all day and look up at the ceiling like you know and and i'm getting less and less of them because i guess i've got the purpose now with the podcast and you know yeah my mind was you know if i had to train i'd go train and then i'd sit there like in the gym and do nothing I had nothing. I had nothing to give. And people think, oh, you know, there is that Goggins mentality of just do the thing. So I don't want to do the thing. I'm fucking, I don't, I don't want to. I don't have the energy. I don't have the capacity to give anything to myself or anybody else, you know? So for you, because then, you know, from there, I want to talk about the running and what, why you run. What did it look like for you? Uh, very similar in, in some sense where, well, I spoke earlier about my being a workaholic. Mm. I now know that's part of what I had. That was part of the way I, I, I guess, what I felt was everything around me was grumbling. And as I explained before, if I'm at work, nothing can go wrong. Even when everything is completely wrong, I can fix it because there's always an answer. Um, whereas, so that was... I guess if something felt like it was going wrong at home, I'd leave to go to work and I'd work extra long hours to fix that problem instead of dealing with the problem. And it, and again, it's not necessarily the the fact that because my wife and my children are great, 
it was my traumas of, I guess, not knowing how to handle a certain thing. So the best thing to do is just go out and do whatever else I can do to mm. around it instead of dealing with the problem. I'll do every other problem around that problem. Um, yeah. And so I think there's a saying like in speeches and stuff or, or talking in confrontations, like swallow the frog first or something like that, eat the frog mm. first. Um, and it, but whereas I wasn't, I was dancing around trying to, you know, look after mm. all the stuff I could cope with. And then if I even dealt with the problem, <laughs> hopefully the problem's gone away at that point. Um, but then it also led to, as you mentioned as well, the lying in bed endlessly and, and just, just always being tired or feeling tired. It wasn't necessarily tired, but like I could do a good 12 hour sleep and, and yeah, not wake up once, but wake up and feel tired and just lay around all day. And then mm. sure enough, by eight o'clock that night, be asleep again, but have mm. not used any of my energy or anything. Um, mm. And then I've said to, in previous times, another one for me was, um, like a like a love story movie where there's a teenage breakup or or just a a lady's broken up with a partner and they're sitting on the on the couch eating a tub of ice cream while watching mm. sad movies. Mm-hmm. That was me because I love my ice cream and mm. I could polish off a tub of ice cream while watching movies at that yeah. And again, that's something that I didn't know. I just thought it was because I like my ice cream and I'll just keep going, but looking back at all the times that happened, there was a, a reason that it happened. Mm. So, and then um, I guess it's a hard one as well to explain where, because I didn't feel isolated because I always had people around me, but mm. I guess childhood traumas, which I haven't mentioned before, but like I, different partners, like my mum had lots of different partners growing up. Um I, I, I don't know what the word is. It's not like I learnt it, but I was. It created an, an environment, I guess, where I didn't build relationships or trust because you weren't going to be around long enough for me for to care about me or me to care about you. Like so, I I took that into every relationship that I had then. So mm. it wasn't just for. You know, a friend of a friend it was even my friends I would hold an arm's length away at that point unless they were part of my group where I grew up and we were tight because we're all going through traumas and and, and I'm learning now because I didn't ask and I and I still don't and that's what I'm learning but I didn't ask personal questions because if I ask you a personal question, you'll answer and, and I do care about you, what you've got to say, but it will follow up with you asking me a personal question. And I don't want mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so, so like as simple as how are your kids, as much as I want to know how your family's going, I don't want to talk about my family. So I don't ask that question because I don't want a response. It's a, mm. it's a very one-sided conversation and, and I care everything about what everyone else got to say. I just don't want people to know. And it's not, it's not a secrecy thing. It's just, how I've grown up. It was just with trust. The, with the trust. It's yeah, not have and, and I don't have trust in a lot of people. Mm. And and with not having trust in people, it creates needing to I guess do things for myself. The old 
the old saying, which I used to say all the time, which I hate it now, is you want something done properly, do it yourself. Mm. I lived by that because I couldn't trust if someone else would do it for me, I've got to do it myself. And and don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be here in this position, what I'm doing now, if I didn't have that. It It is... Mm shaped who i am but yeah, now that so i'm it's aware like, it's a tough one you're like overcompensating you know 100%. on one side because you're lacking on the other side yeah and it's it's funny how the human psyche like you just listening to you it, it's so interesting that you can actually see like the linear path of you know instability you're you know from a very very young age there's no trust there. Your your brain's still developing. Your brain suddenly developed, and that is your default state. That is your state that you have been wired to believe is your reality, and that's that that's generational trauma. That is that is yeah how it works. It's yes. a very uh, simple simplified way of explaining it, but that's it. Yeah. That's basically yeah. it. And you have to uh, and to unlearn it all. You know, for me to to un to to learn to love myself to because I you know years ago I'm not good enough I'm a piece of shit depression comes in you know but to learn to love myself again to truly learn not not in that Instagram way but to really just go you you got your shit together now like that's hard because yeah. you've been programmed in a in a way to yeah. to to feel that you're not good that's that is all you know. So, you know, it, it's cool and it's great that to see, you know, this is where I want to move into a bit of the lighter side of things, you know, what you're doing for your family and what you're doing, you know, for, you know, uh, what is it? The I think we, we've missed out a key part. Um, you raise... There's lots. <laughs> you're an Indigenous man as well. Yes. Yes. So that's one of the key parts and to, to you know, to put that into perspective of, you know, everything or to go back a bit before we jump around a bit more, you yeah. know, do you see your life playing out like some of the guys that, or, you know, some indigenous, I guess, teenagers, do you see, you know, a correlation between both and that you sort of got lucky and, and went down your path or do you, do you see? Um. It's a tough one because yes, I definitely see a lot of a lot of similarities between me and and some of the people I grew up with on the mission at Lake Tyres. Like it's mm. we call it Lake Bunga, uh, Bunyanda, sorry. Um, but I also out of the ten guys that we considered our crew and our brothers that. We were all on the street, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. There was only three of us that were Indigenous and the others weren't. Mm. But we all shared the same lifestyle and that's why we clicked. So I had other friends that, you know, we all have all outside friends, all the different groups. And and I never really clicked with them really well and I don't talk to them now and, and not just by we moved away from each other. They, I'm not going to say they had a perfect life or anything, but they their lives were better. They had mum and dad 
at home at all times doing whatever they needed to do, had the money to spend on them with whatever they needed to do. Mm. And, and I wasn't envious or anything, but, but they had that lifestyle and, and that's where if they went off to do what they were doing, I was then stuck again. So I'd go back to the mates that were in my boat and, mm. and we were on, you know, we were in the same, same boat, just sailing away in our own, drifting away into our own uh, areas and, and, yeah, it's it's a tough tough way to I guess put it because as we know, like mental health and traumas, they don't discriminate. It and and it's and and not that what you're asking was that, but it's like I see I see a lot of indigenous people that are growing up yeah. where they were similar to the guys I just explained. They had their parents had the wealth yeah. and the and the support and everything. Um so from my point of view mm. in, in, in the area that I grew up, I don't think as there's an, a, a point where it, it would say, right. potentially because I'm indigenous or, or this group's mm. indigenous is where that's coming from. Media would love to tell you that, but um, yeah. And that's, that's why I want to be very careful with yeah. how I say things. Cause it's, I'm I'm not steeped in this whatsoever, especially no. with the the voice and everything that's gone on. I don't have an opinion. All all the information and it, look, I'm not going to go fact check everything, and because it's not something that you know, I can't use the word not interested in because it's it's just not a part of my life. You know, just with anything, if it's not a part of my life, that why would I? you know, look into it. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I want to be careful with how I word these, you know, and talk about this because it's, again, it's not close to my heart, but it is close to your heart. Yeah. Like, so, you yeah. know, and again, especially with the voice and that, that just, I, I have no idea what that was. Like, I, no, no one really did. So I'm like. Yeah. It's a, and that was, see, if we were to t- just take a second, take a second to talk about that. If you ask that question that you did before, where as an Indigenous person and a non-Indigenous person, that the voice created so much um, divide. The, yeah, divide, but not just between Indigenous and non-Indigenous, between families. Like yeah. my family were divided, and and my family is considered pretty prominent in the Victorian Aboriginal community. Mm. but but there there was divide there for many reasons so if you go back to the first referendum 1967 i don't know and that's the thing not many people even researched referendums there was a referendum in 1967 that was a vote to see if aboriginal people could be taken off the flora and fauna act and actually be considered humans my great nan was alive for that she remembers mm. that so when she was born, she wasn't considered human. She was on the floor and fauna act with the rest of the animals and plants in Australia. So now we're we're voted on whether what yes or right, nineteen sixty seven they were considered human. Now we're voting on whether we can we can have a voice to talk about our our problems and our successes and, and just to be part of the constitution. So mm. and it's a really tough one, and, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this that go, why is he talking about this stuff? Because I hate politics with a passion. Absolutely mm. hate them. To the point where I'll openly say on your podcast that 
I'm not even enrolled to vote. I do not vote. I didn't vote. I don't care for voting. I don't care for politics. I argue with politicians. I've grown up with politicians and it's part of another trauma that isn't even worth talking about right now because when you've dealt with something your whole life and it's a Mm. negative, you don't want to be a part of it. And that's how it is. But being in the community, the, the, the uncertainty and the thing that scares a lot of us the most is the fact that from our point of view, and I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone, obviously, but the people that I've spoken to, one of the biggest fears that I've put together is, was it, it's a hard thing to say because a lot of people will say it the wrong way, but was it no out of racism or not? And it's the only way that a no vote can really win because if you put it down to just the simple question of should Aboriginal people have a voice in our constitution to be a part of Australia, if you say it like that, I'm pretty sure 99% of the people will say, yeah, yeah, definitely. They're, mm. they're human. They're part of Australia. They're first Australians. But when you throw around all of the miscommunication that the media and the that's politicians fucking... said, that's where you then start getting... And and you mentioned it a second ago where you haven't done all your research on it. Some of the people only did research on Instagram and they seen someone mm. that they liked put a comment up mm-hmm. and so that's now truth. But when you, no one, like I just said, no one actually looked into the 1967 referendum and how that worked out. And, you yeah. know, we're still where we are now. So we're always fighting. But... Oh, look, like, I, I think there, there was a lot of misinformation. 100%. You know, the, uh, the, uh, it's not even, I, I, I think a lot of it wasn't racism. I think it was trust in the government. I think it, it was another one. And again, I don't want to make this <laughs> anything to do with <laughs> politics, but... You know, whilst we're here, I think it was a big, you know, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Someone give us a straight answer. Oh, no straight answer. All right, it's going to be a no. Like, yeah. why would I Why would I vote yes if I don't even know what it is? And yeah. I think they did a poor job of explaining it all. You know, Definitely. my my uncle, who's quite quite into his politics, oh, not quite into, he's, he loves it. He loves it. Yeah. You know, it was very, very hard to even get a straight answer. He didn't even understand. So, yeah. uh, look, I don't think, I think, you know, You'd be fucked today to say, you know, you to be racist against. You know, I guess racism is still very prevalent, but it is hundred percent. I, I I don't think you know in this day and age it's as prevalent as what it was. You're still going to get your tip, you know, a small percentage of the population that are completely and utterly horrible people. But... See, that's where I guess I personally, from my point of view, completely yeah, yeah, yeah. disagree with completely yeah. disagree with that statement because as an Aboriginal man. I cop it directly and indirectly because as you can see on the video and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. some people that do know me that might listen or, you know, one day on Instagram, you'll see that I'm not, you know, I don't have hugely dark features. A lot of people see me more as Mediterranean, you know, olive skin rather mm-hmm. than Aboriginal. So there's people that make comments, even still in my workplace that who know me, yeah, and they they just don't realize I'm around, and they'll say certain things. But and that's I guess certain privileges that different people have, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. you know it it's a it it's racism is well and truly alive in Australia, and even the world. You only have to look at what Donald Trump created to mm. to see he he created an an avenue and a I guess a platform. No no 
different to what you're creating now with your platform about mental health. Mm -hmm. He created a platform for the KKK and all of them to be, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we can, we're supported by Donald Trump, so less voice again. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I just wanted to, from my point of view for that, and, yeah, and no, I know no, a lot 100%. of people will be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Again, then, and and at, you said it's it's for me it's privilege. Like I haven't yeah. had to deal with that, so I have no yeah. idea. And yeah. it's only from my my lens, and you know, I I can't even say I have a lens. It's just all from you know, my yeah. my my views are basically all from what I see as a person from Gold Coast to Instagram. Yeah. That that's it, and and but, you know you're living it, so you have that personal experience, which I yeah. again. The other thing that, that's yours, from yeah. your point of view, and and yeah, I, I will be able to speak on your behalf because I know you'll agree is you have not got one racist, racist bone in your body, so that's another thing from your you mm. looking at it all. You know, you you've spoke, you talk to yeah, you know, multicultural all the time, mm. and as do I, and neither of us have that problem. But yeah, it's the other side of it where you don't see from our point of view. Mm -hmm. And 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 I'm not saying that Aboriginal people are the only people that cop it. My whole workplace is multicultural and it's, it's ridiculous because mm. construction, similar to what you're saying before with mental health, racism still alive in construction because of that mm. old school mentality. We're pushing it out and we're getting there. But um, yeah, it's a tough one. And as far as the voice goes, I'm the last person anyone has to convince about politicians being like non-trustworthy that's part of my trust issues <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it's right now i think it's it's everyone's tr oh yeah. yeah well again i i think we should um definitely change gears here a bit because getting yep. to the uh deeper end of <laughs> a uh, touchy subject so you know i want to bring it up a bit to talk about your um you're running like you do a lot. You do fucking a lot of running. You do a <laughs> lot of running. And you know, some of the things you've done, you know, you did that 100K around, yeah. or where was it from? Dan it was Dandenong? From Pakenham into Pakenham. Uh, Preston. So Preston. basically the southeast suburbs into the into the city and out the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah. And um, you're raising money for? For Dadi Manwara. They're an Aboriginal yeah. men's group. Um they or well, they 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 specialize in domestic violence, but they have, I guess, they have a very good understanding of mental health and the fact that the traumas of our past push us in all these directions. So they run drug mm -hmm. and alcohol programs, they run domestic violence programs. They they have just men's groups. They have a cultural a house out the back of uh, the northern suburbs, almost the west, where young people can just go there and light fires to sit around and talk mm. or just really, I guess, get back to cultural awareness of, you know, a lot of people in, a lot of Aboriginal people in the south, I'll call it, um, uh, or southeast maybe, because even Western Australia is still quite prominent, but we don't know, or, or not that we don't know, we're taken away from our Aboriginal heritage because the East Coast was hit first by Captain Cook and everything like that. So mm. you, you, you talk to someone from 
you know, far north Broome, far north Queensland, Northern Territory, and even down towards Perth, a lot of them can speak their their Indigenous language for their culture, uh, for their um, tribes and stuff. Mm. Whereas, like, I, I know who who I am, where I'm from. I'm a Gunai and Gunijamara man. Um, my uncle is doing a lot of work with creating a, a, essentially a dictionary and, and a the understanding of our language, but I don't think I'm ever going to be able to use that. My children hopefully will be able to, but mm -hmm. it's it's still in development and it's still, there's a lot of understanding because there's a lot of stuff that's just been erased. So, mm. um, and so that identity trauma and, and the, the loss of identity within the Aboriginal community creates a trauma in itself. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so going to these little places and and we don't all have to be from the same tribe or even the same state, mm. but we all have the understanding and we know that a, a fire and, and the smoke is healing for us. Um, we know that, you know, just just making spears, boomerangs, all them sort of things, mm. it's just doing it, it calms you. And, and it, you yeah. know, like my running, I use my running mm. to do it. They get the same benefit out of that. And, and I do too. Like it's all, I guess, culturally appropriate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And, and it's not singled out of, and, and no, I, I was asked at work the other day, the, the, the question I hate the most is like, oh, what percentage are you? Or, you know, things like that. Like there's none of that because we all know that we're all Aboriginal. We, we, prove within ourselves that we're aboriginal because to to prove there's actually a proof of aboriginality form which i've said to people and they don't even know didn't even know aboriginality was a word so but essentially you can trace your ancestry to mm. certain people and and you know just like anyone would with their family tree mm. that that's how aboriginal people know they're aboriginal it is very detailed and proven mm. we don't have to explain it to everybody because you don't have to explain your history to me so why should i have to explain it to you you know what i mean mm. so but people feel entitled to ask us that um anyway i i, I digress from there it, it's they are an amazing um uh, organization mm -hmm. and they they if for me to run 100 kilometers just to raise money for them that was like it was a honor and a privilege for me to help them mm, because because mm -hmm. i know that they for, for for me to help them that that's maybe another 10 20 people that that they can then help so mm. it's a uh, yeah it well, you did them. that quite fast as well yeah i, well, I averaged six minute pace so i did 10 hours and 12 minutes um it was my goal to hit six minute pace um mm. not not ever like my biggest run before that was 56 k's so i had 44 k's of unknown and mm. i set out at six minute pace expecting to really die at the end continued it my biggest goal overall with the unknown was to not walk i didn't want to walk any of it so mm. had, had a couple of toilet stops and, and a couple of food breaks like drinks mm. and stuff but it was like literally run right up to the door of that toilet stop press the button, go to the toilet. Mm. As soon as that door opened again, start running. Like mm. that was, mm. so yeah, I, I wanted to 
say that I ran 100 kilometers, not ran, walked. And, and it was only my personal goal. It doesn't take away from anyone that's ran, walked stuff or anything like that. It was just my goal was to do that. So I kind of expected I'd be walking towards the end, but I didn't. And I was Mm. Yeah. stoked with that. Um, yeah. So. You've also, you know, you, you did stuff, I think it was for Bravehearts as well, the 777. Yes. Yeah, I did that one. Um, you did another one for the Black Dog Institute as well. Yeah, so I do the one foot forward every year for Black Dog Institute. So it's Yeah. every October. Um, they've got some set kilometers, like, you know, your 50, your 100, 200, 150, I think they go up to um, for anything. You can do 150Ks, of, 100Ks of riding, running, swimming, whatever you choose. The idea is just to promote getting active um, and, and getting out the door because obviously we all know that being active and getting healthy helps. with mental health um but i being me i take it to the next level and like one year i did i think i put like 250ks down for the month but ended up like that was my goal ended up doing like 300 and something whatever it was um and just raising money for them in general i, I do like running raising money for mental health uh organizations um obviously a big advocate for it um and that's why i'm going to jump ahead which is up to something I haven't done yet, which we're probably going to talk about eventually anyway. But next year in Feb, I'm doing the world marathon, uh, the great world race. So it's seven marathons in seven days Yeah, across that's seven what I wanted continents. to get in. That's Yeah. where I was leading to. Yeah. 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 So, and for me, it's going to be an amazing challenge. I've got the you know, seven consecutive days. The, the more I look at it, the more I step back and go, whoa, like one, I'm going to fly to seven different continents in seven days across the world. That's awesome in itself. Two, I'm going to run a marathon in Antarctica. Like that's Yeah. how many people can say they did that? Like, Yeah. you know, uh, three, it's 62 hours of flying in one week. <laughs> that is ridiculous. logistically speaking like how like how do, how is It's, that going to work It's a chartered flight, uh, one plane chartered flight all the way around. So we don't have to oh line up and do baggage for, you know, I'm gotch not going to name any okay names because I'm not yeah sponsored by any yet. But if, I, if someone wants to sponsor me from an airline, yeah I'll, I'll drop your name. <laughs> yeah so, but yeah, it's a chartered flight and that's how we minimize, obviously, sitting at the airport for a certain amount of times, things like that. The, the one in Antarctica, just for safety reasons... it's actually ran at the airport. So we're going to be doing the laps at the airport essentially purely and look, yeah, it's going to be an amazing experience regardless, but Mm -hmm. running Well, what on the what snow else? and What everything, would you expect it's, oh, in Antarctica? it's, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, poor <laughs> visibility, all that sort of stuff. You, yeah. you can't, you can't go running 21Ks out, turn around, come 21Ks back. Like, you know, the good thing is there's no polar bears down that end, but um, it's, and, and so, Yeah, this challenge, like it is a race. It is going to be a massive challenge. And and I I take a lot out of the challenge now. I take a lot out of learning my limits and, and pushing those limits. Um, not, not necessarily, well, I don't feel it's necessary to like the Goggins level, but it's just like breaking my limits and, and proving myself that, you know, it's not just at work that I can, make things happen. I can do it at home. I can do it while running, things like that. But 
I also, when I do these kind of challenges, like my 100Ks, like the Brave Hearts, like that's their own thing already. But I don't like doing... I, it's it's funny because I don't... I feel like I don't like um, the idea that... For my 100Ks, for example, I'll, I'll put tell this way. My 100Ks, it was my own run. I set the course myself. I did it by myself. I had a couple of support guys with me, which I completely appreciated. Um, but... The, the idea for me of paying someone to go and do a hundred kilometers and only they benefit out of it, it just doesn't sit right with me. Like, mm. Don't get me wrong. I'll probably mm -hmm. do it one day and I will do them. I do events all the time, but if I'm going to do at least for my first ones and the big ones, I like to partner with people. So it was Bravehearts for the triple seven. It was mm -hmm. Dardy Manuaro for the mental health stuff for the hundred this time around. Yes. I'm paying to do this great world race, but I've also now partnered with the Black Dog Institute because mm -hmm. I'm doing doing fundraising and, and sponsorship stuff. And my goal is to hit, you know, hit amount A. And then once I get past that, I'm hoping to absolutely smash, you know, I'm not going to be uh, Ned Brockman and get up to the $3 mm. million. But if I can raise an extra $10,000 to mm. hand over to the Black Dog Institute, you know, that's, that's an, that, I'd love that. That would be a win. That would be, you know, mm. even if I didn't do the run, that's that's another awesome thing that I would love to be able to do. That's a challenge in itself, getting as much money, because the more money I get for these these organisations, the more people they can help. Yeah, because mm. you've said it many times how you want to become the person that you needed. I know I will never have that capacity to be the person that I needed, but I know that there's organisations oh. out there that create that. I think you I... already are. Like, let just let, just to touch on that. Like, maybe you know it's imposter syndrome for you, but I think you already are being the person that you needed, because at the like what you've told me is you you've had a your life's been very up and down, but you're still showing up for yourself and you showing up for your family and you you know in turn you're showing up for yourself. You're healing that part of you that 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 yeah needed that because you're becoming it's it's a weird one we, we were learning about this in psychology you end up becoming the person you needed by doing that yeah you, you somehow heal that part of you that needed the person who you have become if that makes yeah yeah you know, sense. that makes sense yeah and it does it does and, it, and it, look it's it, my my wife constantly tells me like yeah I'm I'm the first person to praise people. Like a few people just did their first marathon at the Melbourne Marathon, and I was like all around them, and it like amazing stuff mm. because a marathon is obviously amazing. People that do that to to be able to do that and then just stop, that's fine. Do whatever you need to do. But and I was here. I am also telling people about the post run blues, and and one of the guys actually posted in our running group. You know. Be careful. It's it's about now after the marathon. Everything's starting to wind down. Be careful of those blues. We're all here to talk. Mm. Quite a supportive group we've got. But then someone said to me, oh, yeah, you did really good too. And I'm like, oh, no, no. It's like, no, I didn't. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I always brush it off. And my wife was, she's constantly on me to say, no, no, no. You need to take that. Take that compliment <laughs> and, and that's it. Do not. Whether you feel like it or not, but just stop shutting people down for complimenting you. And yeah, um, 
it, it's, I, a, it's a hard one. I fucking get that. <laughs> so <laughs> the 48 hour, right? 184 kilometers. If I go, okay, if I think of 184 kilometers, I go, that's a really fucking long way. Oh, Kent, how far did you run the 48 hour? 108. Uh, only 184 yeah. kilometers. Yeah. What do you mean by only? Oh, you know, like, you know, two, 200 would have been nice, but I got injured. <laughs> Kent, you ran 184 kilometers, over 100 miles. Like, yeah. do you just that? Oh, I was at a slow pace. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Kent, you run 184 kilometers around a 400 meter track. Yeah. Oh, you know, the guy that won. It's not about the guy that won. It's about yeah. you. I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, oh. And then the, yeah. Yeah, my partner's the same. She goes, Kent, like, shut the fuck up. You, you ran 184 kilometers. Yeah. Be proud. Oh, you know, next. No, don't be. No, think about next year. Like, so I, I get it. Yeah. Man. And it's a tough one. And, and again, it's that learning. It's, you know, we're not going to learn how to, you know, accept compliments and love ourselves like that, you know, not by next week, not by the week after, you know, it's years of healing and it's not done yet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's actually, it's funny because listening to your podcast and there was a, I can't remember which episode it was specifically, but one of the episodes made me think about a few things and I actually worked out. It, it it was like a light bulb moment for me because I worked out that I'm doing all these hard runs and, and, and I will continue to do these. I push myself because I want to find if I have a limit, which I don't think anyone has a limit because once you get to that point, probably still a bit of like David, Gog- David Goggins' theory here, but once you reach that that limit, you've now set the bar for that's that's your baseline to keep going and and you mm. and once you've hit the limit it's a lesson to to go what do i need to do to get further you know mm. and and without trying to diminish like what you were just saying i don't yeah. want to i understand i've hit i've done 100 k's i understand that now mm. looking back at it it is cool but next time i want to do 100 mile and mm. and i'm going to learn from everything there to go to mm. the 100 mile and I was messaging you yesterday or the day before about, you know, the, the backyard ultra that, that is, I suppose the way that you can keep pushing your limits. And, and I'd love to be able to do one day, but what I've found out from, again, the light bulb moment was I feel like right now in my life, I'm actually coasting along. I'm not up Mm. and down like what you've just been saying, Mm. you know, it's a great, way of saying it like i am up and down but like my family's happy i'm getting into these events i'm doing really well at work i'm mm. i feel like i'm in a good spot there's days as we all mm. we all have but what i worked out and that light bulb moment for me was i think i use my runs to take me into the dark spots again i it's like i want to be in that dark spot mm. so that i can get out of it again and and it's I guess the addict you said earlier about a few think traits I, I mentioned and you're saying it's about the addiction. I 100% know I have an addictive personality, and that's why I will never touch drugs because mm. I know I will be down the rabbit warren straight away. Mm. And I know when I go to the casino for a night out with friends and family or whatever, 
I have to get whatever money that I'm willing to lose, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever it might be, and then give the card to my wife. <laughs> because mm. once that's gone, that's it. Whereas mm. if I have the temptation, especially if I'm going and going, you know, I'll be that person that goes, right, all on black or whatever, because mm -hmm. to get that high and I'll just keep chasing it. So I, I learned that from a young age. That's why I've, I've never had a cigarette. And I, I know I will just get hooked on certain things. There's some things, yeah, come and go, but yeah, it's a tough one. And, and so I guess point of me saying that is I think I'm hooked on the recovering from like getting mm -hmm. out of a hole getting back into it, getting out of it, get back into it, getting out of it. And mm -hmm. rather than doing it on a, trying to do it on the bed and as we were saying earlier, or the ice cream tub, finding it at the bottom of the ice cream tub, I do it in a, what I'm creating, saying is a healthy way of doing it, which it's completely not, but I'm chasing my limit to see how far I can get and, and where my, yeah, where I break. Yeah, if I could do an, a backyard ultra, I will. I was listening to your uh, your your interview with Tim, Timothy Walsh. I easy to say because I'm not doing it right now, and I'm in the comfort of a seat right now in an air conditioned office. But I feel like I'd be the one of those people, and I'm honest with where I'm at. So I feel like he would hopefully have to drag me out to say, no, no, no we're not letting you continue because you're going to mm. put yourself into a worse position mm. because I'll just keep chasing that pain. It's a, mm. it's, it's yeah. I, and, and I didn't know that. And I didn't think about that until one of your, like I said, I can't remember which one it was, but one of your episodes, somehow it came up. Well, it probably wasn't even talking about it. Just whatever you said, whatever they said mm. made me think about it. And yeah, like I said, I was driving along listening to it and it was just a light bulb that went off again. Mm. So that that's what I'm doing, chasing these. And I'm not going to stop doing these runs because the runs, it's a vicious cycle for me. The runs help move my mental health, but sometimes it puts, you me, back. The, it puts me back into the blue, you know, because of the after run blues. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, yeah. And then when you are training for such a long time, it's like, that is hard as itself because you've got to take the time away. So like this morning I was up at like six o'clock, five o'clock, what it five o'clock I was up to go for my run, 10K run before work. So that tonight I had the family time. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I'm gonna be tired this evening. So it's finding that balance. It's a is it's just... a balance. There is I don't even think there's such a thing as fucking balance. You just <laughs> fit it. They talk about, you know, balance work life, blah blah blah. And it's like, no, I just fit it when I can. Like you know, again, this morning, same time, got up, went for a ride. It was like a two-hour training block. And, you know, I, I have to I have to plan my days where I go, okay, I've got work this day. How much can I fit in the morning? Because I'm not doing it at night time because I'm going to be with the kids. So I have to chop and change things. And, oh, you've got such a good work-life balance. It's like, I do, but I just make it work for what it is. Yeah. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes I don't do the session. And that's okay because there's, you know, as I've said in the past, there's plenty more runs. There's plenty more runs to come if you don't yeah. stop. Yeah. You know, so I think for me, like next year, of the forty-eight hours not on anymore, and you know, talk uh, piggybacking off that, going into that dark place. I, I guess it's not in a way of like a sadistic. I want to fucking feel pain, feel suffering. 
it's like I just liked where my mind went. You know, yeah. I love the whole, do I want to continue? No, but we continue. You know, yeah. I love that. That's that's all it yeah. comes down to. Um, so I think the 48 hours being canned just because they don't have the, and the cost of putting it on next year yeah. is, is going to be, you know, it's a couple grand to keep it open for four or five runners. Yeah. So I think I'm going to try organize, you know, a 48 hour round a, a lake or a loop somewhere around my house. Yeah. And just run and just enjoy it. Like not, not have any timing chips, space it off my Garmin, you know, and just to be out there, especially for 48 hours, it's just being out there running for 48 hours. That's the yeah. challenge. Not the, di- yeah. you know, it's not the distance because 48 hours of anything is fucking yeah. horrendous. Yeah. So. Yeah. But look, just to land I, this, I actually you know, find that. Sorry, I, fi- I find that a bit harder running for time. I, I hate running for time. Like personally, <laughs> it it kills me because there's no destination. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the love and, of it. And, and yeah, but because I'm quicker, I find like it'd be like because every now and then my running coach gives me uh, to go for an, a one hour run. It's like yeah, but how far? <laughs> so like I'll be calculating. If I go oh. at a pace, but then I'll get into yeah, a casual. Yeah. I'll ca- say I'll calculate it like a fifty-minute, uh, a, fi- a five-minute pace. So in fifty minutes, I've got my ten k's. So really, I should hit twelve k's or so. So I'm like, right, I'll be run twelve k's. But I'll get into a natural rhythm, and I'm going at maybe four thirties. So then it really stuffs it. And then so I'll get to twelve k's because I had that in my mind. And I look at my watch. I've got oh, I still got nine minutes to go. So, Oh shit! What do I? What, I'll just keep running, I <laughs> and I'll keep running. But then the nine minutes just feels like it drags because it's not like I can just quickly run to the end of the street because it's five hundred meters. It's like it's nine minutes. I got to run for mm. it, like it. Yeah, that messes with my mind. So, oh man, yeah. running problems. Yeah, yeah. But look, that's look, that's why I'm... the backyard ultra looks good because it's run for the six point seven. Doesn't matter what the time is, just run for the six point seven walk away so. yeah my um i'm not in i already messaged you about this <laughs> yeah. I, I i might make an appearance because i got a free ticket i don't know if i'm i don't know it doesn't it doesn't um there's, a, there's an element of speed i'm not fast by any means you know short distance fast but then long distance like to keep the diesel engine going i'm yeah in the long run nah you know, I do I would I can you know do a hundred miler in twenty four hours? Maybe no, nah, I don't know. Like I haven't trained for it, so yeah, we'll we'll see. I just got to turn up and see how I go on the day. Um, yeah. but look, we've been we've been going for Ages. an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I just want to say like thank you for sharing all that, and you know to do this, to find out more of your story, to touch on, you know, what you've done, what you've been through. I think there's a lot of value in this talking about, you know, especially the Aboriginal culture there. Um, Coming from the source itself, again, everything that I said was through my lens. I'm, you know, in a way privileged enough to live the life I lived, Um, you know, and, and again, I have no opinions on, on what's going on. Um, and as I said, it's not something I'm steeped in. It's not something that, you know, has affected me because, you know, why would I? I'm, I'm a Caucasian male that lives on the Gold Coast. It hasn't crossed my path, but it has for yeah. you. So, you know, again, 
appreciate just your time to do this. You know, it's been a long time coming anyway. And, um, you know, what I, I always leave it on the last two questions. And the first question is, you know, what do you want the world or what's something the world, what's something you want to share with the world that they don't already know about you? Um, the tough one, because even though we've gone through so much in this mm. chat, like, I feel like it was, it's just a drop in the ocean with, you know, mm. obviously we've only got the hour or so that we're trying to fit it all into, but I guess, um, what do people, what do I want people to know about me? I guess if you, if you're willing to, to put in the effort, I will give you 210% of my time to make sure that you will succeed. Like I, I I said before how I I don't ask the personal questions that I don't want to be asked back and things like that, but it's not that I don't care. I'm I guess I'm a very caring person and I and I want everyone to succeed. So if you're willing to do it and you're willing to, I guess, put all the excuses away, I will do everything in my power to help you get to where you need to be. Um, yeah. I do say to people all the time, I'm always a phone call away, a message away. But um, I guess some people take that as a bit of a cliche thing. I genuinely mean it. I will I will wake yeah. up at two o'clock in the morning if you need a chat, things like that. And or if you you need help with driving lessons, you want to help with anything in life. Again, if I don't know the answers, I'm going to tell you I don't know. But yeah. the next time I see you, I will have an answer and I will give you everything because I can see, I, I see the drive in people and I see yeah. when it's worth my time and when I'm going to be, I guess, emptying my cup yeah. and tipping it down the drain because by helping people, it fills my cup too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess with my facade and my persona that I do carry myself, and I don't mean to be that way, but I guess some people can see me as standoffish or, you know, doing what I need to do. But I'm always, always mm -hmm. available and, and willing to push for you to succeed. So nice. And the last one is for the person out there that is that is hurting, you know, from childhood traumas, from from anything, just hurting in that hole. What is your message to them? Um, know who your support crew is. It's it. There's there's a lot of people that will say they are going to help, but they'll only do it if it benefits themselves. Things like that. Whereas, like for me, my wife. We've been together for a very long time. She is my my rock. She will always be there. Um, she told me things about me when I wasn't ready to hear them, so I brushed it off. And she is constantly reminding me when I bring something up. She's like, "Yeah, I told you that five years ago." Like, you know. But now, what you need to do, what you need to realize is if. Like, 
first you need to realize you're in the hole but what you i guess need to know is that unless you're ready to hear the truth and and make the change a lot of things will come off as just general advice from whoever so if your support crew whether it's one person or three people whether a best mate a partner a family member it can be absolutely anyone it could be a workmate or someone that you just really trust and and maybe you've told you're having a hard time if they tell you stuff about yourself take it on think about it you don't have to action it straight away because you may not be ready to but your support crew is the one that's going to be there and and they will like i say people come and go but you'll know who they are the support person that you need is already in your life you just don't know it yet that's beautifully put nice man well look i don't want to take up too much more of your time and you know again i'm genuinely like you know i can call you a good mate now like Yep. We're in contact a lot, even though you live in a completely different state. And I appreciate you sharing, as I said, you know, I appreciate you sharing this with me, with everyone, especially on a, you know, a platform such as a podcast, you know, it goes to a lot of people now and, you know, to share this, to see, you know, life through the lens of Andrew Thorpe, you know, because you're starting to get a name for yourself, especially with all this running and, you know, people know who you are so it would be great for them to get an insight into you and and, and what you're about so yeah I, Look, yeah i appreciate the reason it, i the reason i do share like i've come to terms with it which i've said in this podcast i i know where i'm at i know where i was and i'm still learning a lot but the reason i do share as much as i can is because i am confident to share and i know my support base I know who I need to look up, look to for my support, but I also know that by me telling telling my story, that there's at least one person out there in in the world that is maybe going through very similar, probably not the same, but very similar, or they can compare. Not that we ever want to com compare, but like the way I've gotten through certain things this might help them that they're not mm. alone it's that one conversation that they heard on the radio on the podcast that he went through it and he's okay you know just like you with your one we're completely different stories but we've been through things and we're okay and we're coming out the other side there's billions of us not everyone's confident to tell the story but mm. if i can tell my story and save at least one person then i'll die a happy man Perfect. That was perfectly put and a good way to sort of finish this. But man, thank you so much for doing this and um, really do appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for having Peace. me on.